Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you, Josh. Hey, thank you, worship team, this morning. Hey, Colossians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. Colossians chapter 1. Well, we're, I'm preaching through the book of Colossians, but there, there are going to be about three sermon series as we look through the whole book. And so I did first things first to open up the book. Then I'm going to do a short series called Pressure, Getting Ready to Respond. Pressure. Because uh, in this book, though we talk about the joys of the Christian life, we talk about, you know, the great things about the Christian life, there comes with the Christian life a, some pressure for certain things in our lives. Like there are expectations in the Christian life. And so Paul begins to deal with those at the end of chapter one, going into chapter two. And so today uh, I want to preach on this, dependable or expendable, dependable or expendable. So Colossians chapter one, we'll start reading about verse 24. Just find your place. We'll stand up in just a moment and read. Well, the, uh, I, I know this has, uh, it, this has just came and went the tax deadline for some of you, uh, you know, for some of you in the t- time to pay taxes or file taxes, you celebrate the American tax code. Like, you know, you're so excited, get a check back in the mail. For others, April 15th, May 17th, uh, uh, whatever it was this year, it came and smacked you in the face and called you a sissy this year, right? right? Like it's, uh, some of you, it worked out well, some of you, it didn't. We're not the only one that, you know, don't like taxes or have to pay. Remember, you go back and study taxes, we find as far back as 3000 BC, the Egyptians were paying taxes. We know when we look in our Bible that Jesus talked about paying taxes, but nobody's really ever enjoyed paying taxes. You even look at the British citizens, you know, that's one of the reasons we separated from the Brits, you know, back in the day, taxation without representation. But even the own British citizens, they didn't like their taxes for about, um, uh, for, uh, uh, for several decades in the 17, 1800s, the Brits taxed hats that men wore. There was literally a tax hat. And so you had to pay your taxes on your hat. And when you paid your taxes on your hat, they put a little stamp inside your hat. And the police would come along and they would ask men to take off their hats. And they would look inside for that stamp to make sure that stamp was in there and that you had uh, actually paid your uh, tax. It was like a postage stamp, uh, you know, glue on the back of it. They put it in there. And so they'd ask you to take your hat off and the police would look and make sure you had paid your taxes. Well, that started in 1784. 1798, a man came along. Now, I looked and looked for a a photo of this man, couldn't find him, um, uh, named John Collins. John Collins came along, and in the black market, he started making and manufacturing and selling on the black market fake tax hat stamps that men could put inside their uh, hats. He was the first guy to kind of find a loophole in the system, he thought. And it went on for years, John Collins, making a little money on the side with these fake tax hat stamps that saved everybody a little bit of money until they caught him. They actually caught up with him and John Collins. And you say, what was the punishment for uh, av- avoiding the IRS? They literally sentenced him 
to death. So you might want to think twice about cheating on your taxes going forward. Sentence him to death. According to the IRS, the average American spends 11 hours doing their taxes. But for most people, it's worth it because the average person gets back $3,000. And so if you ask, uh, you know, what are the chances I'm going to get audited? Number one reason people get audited, number one thing people do wrong on their tax returns is they put in the wrong social security number. So if you type in somebody else's social security number, you will get into trouble. But this is where I'm going. I found this out this year that a full 33% of Americans procrastinate doing their taxes until the very last moment. How many of you are last day filers? Anybody in the room a last day filer like me? Oh, y'all are great. I file the very last day possible. Why would you file on the last day? Well, here's what the survey say. 40% say it's too time consuming. 22% said it's too stressful. 10%, uh, 22% want to make sure they're filing it correctly. 10% say uh, they are in a hurry to file because they're not getting a refund. So why do I care? And 6% are worried they will owe money. And a full third of Americans are not doing their taxes until the very last minute. But if you're like me, I'm a last minute tax filer, very last day. Man, they, May 17th, I filed them on the last day. That's how I operate on this. But here's the truth. In January, I start feeling the pressure of getting them done. As a matter of fact, here's how my tax cycle works every single year, every single year. In January, I say to my wife, hey, I'm going to get these things done early this year. I'm not waiting until the last moment. And then in February, I say, well, I bet I don't have all the paperwork in yet. I need to wait a little bit longer. In March, you know, March is such a busy month. It's hard really to get to it. And then normally about April 1st, I say, hey, it's April. I got about two weeks left. I'm going to get my taxes done today. But isn't April 1st a holiday in America? I don't want to work on a holiday And normally on April 15th, about 11.58 p.m., I'm Googling on the internet how to file an IRS extension. But it starts in January, the pressure, the pressure. You know that pressure of having a looming task or a looming responsibility that we all feel the pressure to get it done, the pressure of responsibility, the pressure of getting it right, the pressure of a task that can only be done by us. When we open up Colossians chapter 1, Paul wanted the Christian to feel some pressure as well. And the Christian life should be fun. The Christian life should be filled with joy. But the Christian life ought to also ought to have a, a holy anxiety about the calling of God that are on every one of our lives. The, what God has asked us to do, what God has left us for, what God has gifted us for. There ought to be in every one of our lives the pressure of this holy anxiety that God has placed in our hearts and lives that just provide a little bit of day, daily pressure to be what God wants us to be. So Paul talked about that. If you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, and it's on the screen if you don't have your Bibles, but whether you're online or in the room, it'll be on the screen. But Colossians chapter one, look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body, that is the church 
I've become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious, glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Uh, and then chapter 2, verse 1, for I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. Pressure. Paul is recounting here the pressure that uh, the pressure of suffering he's gone through on their behalf, and Paul is trying to let them know, using himself as an example, that that there is some pressure associated with the Christian life, and there is pressure for us to be dependable. Now, when I use the title dependable or expendable, I'm not by any means implying that anyone's expendable. But what I am implying is that there are those that are fulfilling their course for God. And then there are those that are lacking in their course for God. And it's almost as if they don't exist for the kingdom. Which category do you fit in? Well, here's what Paul tells us in Colossians 1 in that first part of Colossians 2, that there are people who are depending upon us. Let me show you who they are. Number one, here's what Paul said, that God is depending on you. That God is depending on you. Paul's introductory thanksgiving now passes into an account of his own pastoral care for the people he addresses. And Paul, so Paul talks about the hardships he endures being an apostle and the hardships he has endured. By the way, for their sakes, the Colossae church. And the second uh, thing he's talking about is the hardship of the word of God, the hardship of making sure you're in the word of God. He said that he wanted to pre present the word of God to them in all of its fullness. And so Paul talks about, hey, the suffering I'm doing for Christ's sake, the word of God I'm teaching for Christ's sake. But he calls all of that in that front, in that those verses, verses 24 through 27, Paul's service became, here's what he calls it, God's commission. The word commission there in the Greek is where we get our word economy from. It means management or stewardship. It is a well-trusted servant who would manage his master's estate. And so Paul said, I, have, I am a steward of the estate of the kingdom of God. I am a steward, he goes on to tell us, of the mysteries of God. And he said, Here, here's what I'm to do. God has commissioned me as an apostle to make the word of God fully known. I, I love this in verse 27. Look, look in your Bibles at uh, verse 27, and it's a phrase you don't see very much. Uh, look how it starts off. But God wanted to make known. God wanted to make known. It's a great phrase that God had something that he needed Paul to do, and he said to Paul, Paul, here is what I want with your life. I have a commission by God, Paul said, to do something that God wanted to do. Well, what was it? It was to get the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world, to get the hope of glory to a lost and dying world, to get the mystery of the saints to a lost and dying world, to get people far from God 
God who know nothing about God to bring them into a relationship with God. God wanted something done. And get this, he was willing to allow Paul to go through hard times and difficult times to get the job done. You can't miss that in those opening verses that Paul, as he's talking about his commission, Paul, as he's talking about his stewardship, says this, that I've been going through difficult times. I've been going through hard times. But God was depending on Paul despite the fact he was suffering and going through difficult times that Paul would fulfill his commission that he was given, his calling that he was given. And Paul was saying, no, no matter the difficulties, no matter the hardships, no matter the troubles, the trials, the tribulation, I have a commission by God. And furthermore, furthermore, it may be, it may be that, that God has given me these difficulties in order to further the calling that he has on my life. Now can I say something to you this morning, Christian, that, that God has a commission for you as well. Now, now, it may not be to be an apostle. Obviously, it's not for us. But whatever it is that God wants you to do, God has placed a commission. God has a work for you. God has a calling for you. God has a plan for you. And hear me, God is depending on you to get the job done. And here's where we get off the rails. We do okay on that commission until we get into extreme wealth, prosperity, or extreme poverty. And, and by that, I don't necessarily just mean financial. I mean, when things are just what we might call quote-unquote normal life, we do, we do pretty well with that. But when things get too good for us or when things get too bad for us, we get off the rails in the commission God has on life specifically. That's why Paul brought it up. Suffering has a tendency to derail us from the calling that's on our lives. Because we view our suffering as independent of our commission by God, and we see our suffering as a random act of bad luck. Instead, here's what Paul did. Paul said, listen, God's got a calling on my life. God's got a commission on my life. God has something he wants me to do. God's depending upon me, and God so badly wants me to get it done that he's willing to let me suffer to advance the cause that he's put on my life. And can I say to you this morning, Christian, that God is depending on you and that commission that God has given you, sure enough, sometimes may come through hard times, may come through stressful times, may come through difficult times, may even come through suffering times. And here's what we have to understand as Christians, that when we are going through difficult times, that is not an excuse for us to lay down the calling of God on our lives. That's not the excuse for us to lay down the commission of God on our lives. No, it may be that the very difficulty you're going through, the very hard times you're going through, the very suffering you're going through, that, that, that is the very fuel for the calling God has on your life. They are absolutely not random acts of bad luck. You know, there's no other sport like, uh, 
like baseball when it comes to quirky things happening and, and quirky statistics. I, I ran across a quirky statistics the, the other day, and it was, it was the number of foul balls hit in one major league at bat. Yes, we actually keep up with those kind of things. The number of foul balls per at bat. Uh, the, the old record that, that we don't have much proof of is a guy named Roy Thomas who in 1899 supposedly fouled off 22 foul balls in one at bat, 24 in another, and 27 in another. Though it's suspect, record keeping wasn't perfect back then, and so they don't really count that. In the modern era of basketball, Ricky Gutierrez fouled off 14 times in 1998 before he eventually struck out. Alex Cora, who's now a manager, fouled off 14 times in 2004 before he hit a home run. But then in 2018, there was a guy named Brandon Belt, if you know anything about baseball, who on April 22nd, 2018, for the San Francisco Giants, had a 21-pitch, 13-minute at-bat. Now, some of you think baseball's slow. You ain't seen slow until it takes 13 minutes for an at-bat. That's nearly an entire quarter in football. 13 minutes. And bit it all, at the end of the 21 pitches, he flied out to right. No home run, no, no, nothing exciting. As a matter of fact, uh, they interviewed him afterwards, and the first thing he did after hitting this pitch to right field routine, he went into the dugout and he apologized to all of his teammates for taking up so much time. But that's not even the most famous. He holds the record, but that's not the most famous foul ball. The most famous foul ball goes to Richie Ashburn, who was a New York Giants on August 17, 1957. Watching the Phillies play that day in the stands was a lady named Alice Roth, who was the wife of the Philadelphia Sports Bulletin editor, Oral Roth. She was there with her two grandkids, and she was sitting right over here behind third base. He, R Richie Aspirin, who eventually became a Hall of Famer, hit a foul ball, and the foul ball hit Alice directly in the face. It broke her nose, blood you know how facial just went everywhere. They halted play on the field. They brought down a stretcher. They set her on a stretcher. They, they tended to her there in the stadiums, Alice, and then they set her on a stretcher. And after a long delay, they had finally loaded her up on the stretcher. They waited respectfully till she was on the stretcher, and they began to carry her out of the stadium. And when they did, play resumed. And Ashburn hit another foul ball. Wait for it. It hit Miss Roth while she was lying on the stretcher. <laughs> and it broke her leg lying on the stretcher. I mean, it, it, it's nearly impossibility. I, I cannot tell you the dozens and dozens and dozens of games. I've never yet to get a foul ball within catching distance of me. And she got hit on consecutive pitches and broke her nose and broke her legs. And listen, when, when I say that, how, how in the world can you explain something like that? All we can say is, man, what random bad luck that could be. Two pitches, two broken body parts by the same lady. Would you call that bad luck? Sure I would, but that's how we view our circumstances a lot of times, right? 
We, we think our circumstances in life, our suffering is random bad luck. Man, what? How, how in the world could that happen to me? Man, when it rains, it pours. All these bad things happen to me. And we think it's random bad luck, except that it's not. Paul said that, that, that my suffering is part of the commission that God has given to me, not because God wants me to see uh, me suffer, but because God was able to use that suffering to help me fulfill the calling that God had on my life. God is depending on me, Paul said, even in spite of my suffering. Now, can I say to you, church, that God is depending on you. Even through your suffering, even through your hurts, even through your disappointments, that God wants to use you to make a difference. But the road may not be on smooth pavement. There may be rough patches and potholes and detours and accidents and more, but God is depending upon you you anyway. And so here's where we have to get in the Christian life, that, that we are going to serve God, that we're going to fulfill our calling, our commission on our life, even through suffering. That, that means even when somebody hurts your feelings. You're going to keep your eyes on the main thing, and that is what God has called you to do. That when, when, when hardship has come your way, when pain has come your way, when disappointment has come your way, and it's come to all of our way, and it's not random bad luck, it's, it may be the propellant. Your suffering may be the propellant of God's commission on our lives. And so Paul wants you to know, first off, that, hey, God's dependent upon you. Are you dependable, serving God, fulfilling your commission, living your life for God, even when everything is not going your way, even when there may be difficulties, even when there may be sufferings? And listen, there are plenty of us in this room that are suffering today, and we tend to get really myopic about our suffering, and all we can see is our heartache, and all we can see is our pain, and all we can see is our hurt, but we never step back and say, wait, maybe God is depending upon me to do something during this. Number one, I want to tell you God is depending on you. Number two, I want to tell you this. Paul told us that the world is depending on you. I I love this, that you see it here twice. Paul said, we proclaim Jesus, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Notice in the same two, one verse, really, he, he used that phrase both times, everyone, everyone. Paul said that he was in the business of warning and teaching. Now the word warning there in the Greek has to do with will and emotions, right? It's the person's conduct, heart, and attitude. And so really it's what we might call just preaching, that Paul was warning them about lifestyle. Paul was warning them about following God, but more than that, he was also teaching them, and that has to do with faith and doctrine. So so Paul was giving them the foundations of the faith, and then he was using that to warn them and uh, and direct their will in living the Christian life. And so Paul said that while he was doing that, he uses two words, I labor for this, striving with his strength two words there that made it happen one was labor it means to work hard grow weary wear out the word strive there means to struggle or fight as a matter of fact you'll recognize this the word in the greek is the word we would transliterate it agonize it's where we get our word agonize from paul said i worked to the point of wearing out and i agonized for what god was doing and trying to do through me but notice who who paul did it for paul did it for Everyone, everyone. Paul felt the pressure to make sure everyone heard the good news about Jesus. 
to grow them in their faith, to warn them and teach them. And Paul said this, I have worn myself out trying to make sure everyone has heard about Jesus. Because here's what Paul believed. Paul believed that the world was depending on his calling in his life. That people were not going to get saved. People were not going to mature in Christ if Paul didn't do what God had called him to do. So Paul said, I left it on the field. I worked hard. I I, I agonized. I I worked myself to the point of exhaustion to make sure that the whole world that I felt I was accountable to, that the whole world had heard about Jesus. Now hear me this morning. I know it may sound like overkill to say that the world is depending upon you, but can I tell you that it is? So preacher, maybe not the whole world. Well, can I phrase it this way? That your world is depending on you. The world that God has placed around you, the world that God has given you to influence, the people in your life who are watching you that you may not even know, uh, you don't know how big your world is. You don't know how big the possibilities are, but the world around you needs to live for Jesus. And, And Paul said, we need to exhaust ourselves for the kingdom. That the responsibility has been given to you. Hear me, church. It can't be passed on to somebody else. That you are responsible for your world. And when you get to heaven and stand before Christ and at the judgment seat of God, you're not going to be able to pass the buck to someone else. Why? Because your world is completely depending on you. You know why? Nobody else can influence your world. Only you can. When we all stand before God one day, we're not going to be able to look at Jesus and say, yeah, I know God, but if I didn't do it, somebody else was going to do it. There's nowhere in the Bible is that stated. I know God, but did it really matter if I, yes, your world. One day we'll stand before a holy God and we'll stand before him at what, what the Bible calls the Bema Seat of Christ. And God is going to tell you this. Your world depended on you. What, what did you do about your world and the gospel? And I, in our minds we're thinking, well, I'll just say it was so. No, it's not. No, it's you and your world. I'm afraid we're going to get the judgment seat. And we're going to be like, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Coco the... Uh, the monkey is a famous gorilla that uh, only one of its kind. She learned to communicate in American Sign Language. She died 2018, 46 years old, but she learned over a thousand words in sign language. You can actually make sentence, sentences with sign language and um, would actually communicate with, she was pretty amazing. As a matter of fact, she learned the word queen and when she learned the word queen, she used it to describe herself from going forward, that she was the, I guess, the queen of her cage or whatever, but a thousand signs she could use and they said she could respond to 2,000 words in the English language. But I don't know if you can see it from here, but she developed a love for kittens. When she learned the word kitten, she wanted a kitten. So they got her a little kitten for her birthday one year. And she, they, as a matter of fact, it, it's, she's interesting to read about. They bought her a stuffed kitten the year before, and she went berserk and told them it wasn't real and different things. And so the next year, they got her a baby kitten, and she, she, she cuddled it, and na- she named it Allie. Uh, she named it All Ball because she thought it resembled a, 
uh, 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 fur ball. But here's the most famous story about Coco and the kitten is one time Coco got mad and she ripped a sink out of the wall and threw it. And when her, when her owners confronted her about why did you do that, she pointed at the cat and in sign language said, the cat did it. <laughs> Literally, the cat, the cat did it. And I thought, yep, that's about, that's about right. Because that's kind of our plan sometimes going into the Bema seat of Christ, right? We're, we're, not, we're not much smarter, most of us, than a gorilla because we think, well, I know I'm not fulfilling my kiss commission. I know I'm maybe not being everything I ought to be, but hey, hey, when I get to heaven, God's going to understand all I had going on. No, no. God has called you to make a difference in your world. And your world is depending on you to move them closer to Christ. So how are you doing when it comes to your family? How are you doing when it comes to your job, your friends, your school? Are you moving people closer to Jesus or farther away? Because I want to tell you, the world, your world is depending on you. Third thing Paul tells us is they are depending on you. He, he goes into verse 2, and here's what he said. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. For all who have not seen me in person. Finally, here's what uh, Paul says, that, that yes, God is depending on you, the people in your world are depending on you, but get this. Paul had a passion to help people whom he had never met. He calls them they, you know, for all who have not seen me in person. They use the word they, but the, those who have not seen me in person. That Paul's labor and struggle was not limited just to the people he knew, but Paul worked for those who had never met him. Here, here's what Paul knew. Listen, Christian, we need to hear this, that Paul was spiritually aware, acute enough that he knew that he would never know the impact his life could potentially make. Paul, Paul did not know that this letter that he wrote to the Colossae church, I'd be preaching out of today. He had no, no idea about that. Paul didn't know that he'd be the author of multiple books in the New Testament. He had no idea, but Paul just said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work hard for those that don't know me, for those who have not seen me in person, that there are people whose lives I might could impact that have never met me and I've never met them. And Christian, can I say to you this morning that the same is true for your life? That you have potential you do not understand. That you could make a difference far beyond what you realize sitting here this morning. That God only knows the future you hold. That God only knows the potential your future holds. And the question is, can they depend on you? You say, preacher, well, come on. If I don't, if I don't come to church, if I don't do what's right, if I don't live for Jesus, if I, don't, I mean, that's not really going to affect that many people. Can I tell you, tell you, you have no idea the effect your life lived for Jesus could have an impact on those around you, your family, and spread out for generations to come or beyond people you may not even know. You, you may influence somebody whose job it is to influence somebody else. They are depending on you. Close your Bibles, I'm, I'm finished. 
How much do we really care about people who are, we don't even know, right? It's a valid question. Researchers decided to put that to the test. They called it a moral dilemma. And so they decided to test the importance of our pet dogs compared to the way we treat people. So researchers at nine different universities got together hundreds and hundreds of people and they put them through the moral dilemma research. Would you save a human or would you save an animal that was in imminent danger? And here was the basis of the, of the dilemma. If you don't own a pet, now some of them did, but they're saying even if you don't own a pet, imagine that you do in the following situation. A bus is traveling down a busy street. Your pet runs out in front of the bus Unfortunately, at the same time, a foreign tourist steps out in front of the bus. Neither your pet nor the foreign bus has enough, a foreign tourist has enough time to get out of the way of the bus. It is clear, given the speed of the bus, it will kill whichever one it hits. You only have time to save one. Who would you save? Right, so a moral dilemma. Are you going to save your pet or a stranger? Now, I'd ask you to raise your hand, but I really don't want to know. Right? I really don't want to know. Because in this study, 40% of the people chose to save their pet over the life of a human being. 40%. Now, it was a stranger and they were foreign, right? So maybe you thought the person was a Russian spy and you were letting them get hit by a bus. So they, they said, what if it was somebody you're, you knew in your own hometown versus your pet, 37% still chose the pet. They asked the same question, but it was your friend's pet. 12% still chose to save the friend's pet. And the funniest part of it all to me, in all the studies, and they did more, women were twice as likely to save the pet. So I just want to tell you, if you're in a foreign country and it's between you and a woman's dog, say bye-bye. It's over. Listen, I know we love our pets, right? But somebody was depending on you. Somebody with an eternal soul. Somebody made in the image of God. And I want to tell you that's true whether there's a bus or not. That somebody is dependent on you. They are depending upon you. Your world is depending upon you. God is depending upon you. So how do you become dependable, not expendable? Let me give you four things. Here they are quickly. Number one, take your Christian life seriously. Right? Like too, too many of us, even though we're saved, we're playing around with our Christian life and we don't take our walk with God seriously. Take your walk with God seriously. Number two, every day look for an opportunity to impact a life. Every day you live is a new creation by God that God has divinely orchestrated the events of the world 
for that day to happen. You say, preacher, tomorrow's just going to be Monday. No, it's going to be a divine opportunity orchestrated by God for you to impact, for you to impact your world, for you to impact people you don't even know, for God to be able to depend upon you. Look for an opportunity to impact a life. Number three, discover what you ought to be doing and do it with all your heart. What should you be doing for the kingdom? I can't answer that for you, but do it with all your heart. And then number four, every night, ask yourself this question. If every believer did for Jesus what I did today, would the kingdom of God move forward? If every believer did for Jesus what I did today, what would the church look like? What would the kingdom look like? What would the world look like? You ask that question enough, and you'll become dependable for the kingdom of God. Stand with me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The place to start in all of this is knowing 100% for sure that Christ is in your life and heaven is your eternal home. Listen, don't, don't be walking around this world not knowing for sure that you're saved, that you're a Christian, that you're going to heaven when you die. You say, preacher, death is a long ways off. You have no idea. You have no idea. Today could be any of our last day on earth. Do you know for sure? 100%. I know many of you think, preacher, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm positive. I mean, I think 95, that's good, right? No, no, no. Jesus died so you could know for sure. Listen, our, our staff's up here at the front. Our pastors, they're facing you. This morning, if you'd like to know 100% for sure that Christ is in your life, heaven is your home, no doubt about it. You're going to heaven when you die. In just a moment, Josh is going to sing, slip out from where you are, walk up here, take one of these men by the hand and say, hey, I want to become a Christian. Maybe you want to join our church. Maybe you want to move your membership here. They can answer any of those questions for you, walk you through any of that process. We're not going to embarrass you, not going to call you out. But if you'd like to become a Christian, if you'd like uh, to join our church, you'd like to be baptized, these guys are right here. Don't just come and kneel, but come, come and take one of these guys by the hand and ask them whatever question you may have. There are no questions too small. Now for Christians, our, our, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Dependable? Expendable? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this morning, but can God depend upon you to depend on you to fulfill your calling, your commission that he's placed on your life, even through hard times? Can your world depend on you to, to get the gospel to them, to get God to them, to get Christ to them? Can your world depend upon you to be an example of what a Christian ought to be? In conversation, in conduct, in family, you, you name it, your world's depending upon you. Can they depend on you? They, the people you don't know, the strangers whose life God has designed for you to influence them. It's Christianity when no one's watching. Or you don't know they're watching. Some of you here this morning just need to find your way to the altar and say, Lord, I, I need to take my Christian life a little more seriously. 
Lord, I need to look for an opportunity tomorrow. Lord, I want to wake up tomorrow with my eyes wide open, looking for an opportunity to impact a life. Would you be brave enough to pray that prayer? Father, draw us with your spirit as you've spoken to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, if you're watching online, Jeremy's got a word for you. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message. Guys, the pressure is on. Uh, we, we have a responsibility that God has given each and every one of us to share the good news of the gospel. It's God's plan for getting the gospel out. It's us. We are His plan. And we have a responsibility to be obedient to Jesus. We have a responsibility to the world. And we have a responsibility um, to those that we interact with on a regular basis to share the good news of the gospel with them. How, how are you doing with that? How are you doing spreading the gospel uh, to your friends, to your family members who may uh, be far from God? How are you doing with that? It's a great reminder of the urgency and the importance of getting the gospel out. Maybe you're watching this morning and you've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. This morning the gospel is God's gift to you. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, it begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. It's not your fault. It began in the Garden of Eden, but we are all sinners. We've all been born with that sin nature. No one had to teach us how to be disobedient to God. We've got to be willing to admit that. We've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross. Not just believe it, but accept Jesus' death on the cross as the atonement for our sin. Jesus took our sinfulness and gives us His righteousness. We've got to accept that. And then according to Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, if we believe that in our heart, then we need to confess it with our mouth. Confession looks like you telling God this. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I'm coming to you today asking you to forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried dead in the tomb, and on the third day he rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell for me. Lord, right now I ask you to come into my heart take away my sin. God, make all things new. I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time, welcome to the family. We want to connect with you. And so um, we want to send you some resources that'll help you. We've got a book that we want to send you that'll help you take next steps in your faith journey with Jesus. More importantly than that, though, we want to celebrate with you this morning. And so we've just dropped a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. And if you gave your heart and life to Jesus this morning, click that link. We'd love to connect with you. It has been awesome to be in God's house this morning. Hey, we've got a challenge. We've got some work to do. And I want to challenge you this way. Make it a point to share the gospel with one person that you know who's far from God this week. God bless you. We'll see you next week. 
We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.